I try again. Good morning. <laughs> okay. Um, so my name is Zoltan. Um, I, my family and I started to come to this church over 11 years ago. Uh, it was still in Notts County football ground. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sarah, my wife, is from, from uh, England, and our two boys were both, both baptized in this building. So... What do you think I'm going to talk about today? Let me give you a clue. No, no, we are not going to talk about uh, football. Let me give you another clue. Now, this is the T-shirt I was supposed to wear, but after the lockdown, it didn't sit comfortably on me. Okay. So it says, not only am I awesome, I'm, I'm Hungarian, too. <laughs> so what am I going to talk about? No, it's not Brexit. <laughs> okay, let me give you a final clue, a biblical clue, okay? So if you would like to go uh, in the Bible to European Cup semi-final, no, sorry, <laughs> Isaiah 56, 6, 7. You'll see it in, uh, on the screen as well. So let me read it out with a Hungarian accent. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without des desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So, what do you think I'm going to talk about? Yes, foreigners. Foreigners in the Bible and the biblical church. And now you may probably guess, able to guess, why I've been asked to, to give this sermon. Because I know all about foreigners. I'm surrounded by them. I'm even surrounded by them at home, you know, with an English wife. Okay. And the main message today will be that foreigners are part of the biblical DNA of the church. And I've got a motto, and this is it. Diversity is the default in the biblical church. Okay, diversity is the default in the biblical church. And by default, I simply mean the norm, the standard condition. And before this you know, sermon, you know, I was talking to Ben, and he shared with me uh, you know, some re research results that you have to say something at least nine times for people to remember it. So I've got eight more times to say this. Let's see if I can do this. Okay. So, let me start by saying a quick prayer, of course, in Hungarian. Istenem, kérlek, áld meg a mai Isten tiszteletet, áld meg ezt a gyülekezetet, és segíts kérlek, hogy közvetíteni tudjam a te üzenetedet. Jézus Krisztus nevében. Amen. You may say amen. It was a real, a genuine prayer. <laughs> so, let's start with, with the basic question. Who is a foreigner? Okay? And... 
you know, uh, technically speaking, a foreigner is someone who is ethno-linguistically different. Now, ethno-linguistic is quite a mouthful. Let's just have a look at it. It's, it, it's made up of ethno and linguistic, okay? Ethno means race, ethnicity, and linguistic, obviously, the language. And uh, let's start with, um, with the ethnicity. Of course, you, you may remember, we've already had a big sermon series, a very powerful one, on race. But there, the emphasis was on racial prejudice and the horrible practice of racial discrimination. Today, I'd like to extend this to include every ethnic difference. Of course, at this stage, you, you, you have to realize it's not that easy to decide what ethnicity you are. What is ethnicity? So, for example, let's talk about myself. I always thought I was Hungarian. My wife thought I was Hungarian. My parents thought I was Hungarian. And then, at the beginning of this year, just out of fun, I submitted my DNA sample to a company called Ancestry, which after two months produces a list of your, and you know, kind of, uh, ethnic kind of background in terms of percentages. Now, I'm going to share this with you, and I can say there are three massive uh, surprises there. So, if you look at, if you look at it, uh, the first big surprise is, can you see any Hungarian there? <laughs> I suspected it will be very low, because Hungary, Central Europe, you know, the, the area where Christina comes from is very mixed, and it, it was a, you know, a, a, it's got a very checkered history. But to have 0% of Hungarian, that's surprising. So one thing is certain, I'm not Hungarian. You know? <laughs> now, what am I? And if you look at the first three, Germanic, Eastern Europe, and Russia, which is the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland, and Lithuania, and the Balkans, that makes up about 80%. That's very expected, because that, that's basically the mixture in that area. So my guess is that Christina's, who you just heard in the interview, her background would be something not that different. But then, look at that, the second surprise. I am 10% British. Nobody knew about this in my family. <laughs> and within that, I am 4% Welsh. So Carrie will have a lot to chat about. <laughs> now, the last thing, the last big surprise, go to the bottom of that list. I was totally, totally delighted to see I am 1% European Jewish, which means Friends, I am more Jewish than Hungarian. So, shalom. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's, that's, that more or less covered my, my Hebrew knowledge. OK. Um, so, uh, so, you can say, see, this ethnicity is not that easy to define. So, what does the Bible say about this? Is it so complicated there? Too? And yes, we'll see, yes, it is. And first of all, you could say, oh, but the Old Testament is all about the Jewish race, the Israelites. And it is true. And even we, we remember in some places, the, the Bible 
explicitly prohibits intermarriage with other people. So you have to keep the Jewish race pure. But that has nothing to do with race. It's really to keep the task force, God's task force, pure from corruption. And why do I say this? Because if you look at the Bible, there are some really, really salient, high-profile examples of multiracial elements. And let me just actually illustrate this with four very, very famous biblical figures. Joseph, you know, it's the technicolor, you know, dream code Joseph. Moses, King David, and Jesus. Okay, so let's talk about Joseph. Now, you might remember in Genesis that Joseph, when he was in Egypt, he married Asenath, the daughter of an Egyptian priest. Now, friends, do you realize what this means? His sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, the two leaders of two of the, of the Israeli tribes, they are half Egyptian, okay? Let's talk about Moses. It's difficult to pick a more famous uh, Jewish kind of hero from the Old Testament. Well, we know that when we, he had to flee Egypt, do you remember because he killed you know, an Egyptian uh, and he had to flee? He, he fled to the land of Midian and there he married Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro, the Midianite pe- uh, priest. We learned this in Exodus. So Moses' children were half Midianites. What about King David, the great, great Israeli, you know, the Hebrew king? Actually, we have his family tree uh, in Matthew's gospel. King David's great-grandmother was Ruth, the biblical Ruth, who was from Moab. And his great-great-grandmother... Um, we haven't got that there. His great-great-grandmother was actually uh, Rahab from the city of Jericho, which is, you know, a Canaanite. So his DNA results, if he had sent them to Ancestry.com, you know, would have come up with quite a high percentage of Moabite and Canaanite ancestry. What about Jesus? You know, surely, you know, the, the, well, it's complicated, isn't it? First of all, because he is the son of David, that means by definition, he is the son of, you know, the, the great, 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 great grandson of uh, uh, Ruth and Rahab. But of course, you can say he's also the son of the Holy Spirit. And Friends, let's not get bogged down here what Jesus' ancestry is, but the important point is that in Matthew's gospel, it starts with with Jesus' genealogy, the world's most famous family tree. And Matthew obviously didn't have any problems, including in a highlighted position in this, uh, two foreign women, Ruth and uh, Rahab. So, it, you know, it was absolutely okay for Matthew. If it's okay for Matthew, it's okay for me. Okay. So, diversity is literally in the DNA of the Bible. 
And we learn in Paul's letters in, in, in Romans, uh, to the, Paul's, Paul's letter to the Romans, that Christians are grafted into the Jewish olive tree. Okay? If you can have that slide, please. So the Christians are grafted into the Jewish olive tree. And it um, doesn't matter if you... It, the slide only says Christians are grafted into the Jewish olive tree. So, okay? So, uh, but, you know, this, this is a fascinating concept. It'll have to wait for another sermon because... Okay. But for us, the important thing is diversity is the default in the biblical church. Okay, I have three now. Now, let's talk about, do you remember ethno-linguistic ethno difference? That's the definition of a foreigner. Linguistic, let's talk about the language bit. After all, you know, you probably still think that I am Hungarian because Hungarian is my first language. So language is one of the most important markers of race, just like the other one, which we talked about in the previous big, big uh, sermon series, co the color of your skin, the appearance. So, language. Okay. You know that I'm, I'm a foreigner because I, I use, you know, I, I pronounce some of the English sounds in a different way from you. And I know that you are foreigners because none of you speak a single word of Hungarian. Actually, that's not true. I asked Christina, and she does speak a, a few words. Oh, yes, sorry. And my wife, she... <laughs> Sarah, actually, is one of the very, very few uh, foreigners who managed to learn native-like Hungarian when we lived in Hungary. Okay? So... Let me start by talking about language. Let me start with, with a story which is so good that it's probably not true, even though it's in Wikipedia, so it must be true. Okay? So, in the early 20th century, there were big debates in Texas, United States, about bilingual education, whether you should allow children to be educated both in English and Spanish, or only in English. You know, this is still ongoing, but the story says that there was a massive meeting, you know, you know the political meeting, and it became quite you know, controversial. And at one point, the Texan governor apparently stood up and said, if English was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> now... <laughs> It, I, 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 I am a linguist, you know, by profession. This is quoted a lot in linguistics, partly because it's very funny, partly because it's in Wikipedia, so it must be true, and, and partly because it expresses something fundamental about language, as a fundamental truth, that language is often used for discrimination and exclusion. Okay? So, you can see, again, just like ethnicity was not straightforward, language is not straightforward, shall we have a look at what, what it was like in biblical times? Okay? So, uh, one thing you must realize that the Middle East and Israel, in Jesus' time, was a massively multilingual area that the language which the average Jewish, you know, kind of Israelite used was, was Aramaic, 
which is a kind of a version of Hebrew, the second language, which was, of course, the language of the Bible. And, you know, rabbis taught in Hebrew. But then the whole, the, 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 that area was part of the Roman Empire, which was, of course, where Latin was the official language. And guess what? The word language, the English of that time, was not Latin. It was Greek. So basically, many, many people spoke four languages by default there. Okay? For example, Paul. We know that he preached in minimum three languages, you know, kind of Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Now, that, when I started to think about it, that was such a reassuring moment for me. There is no way that he could preach in all those three languages without an accent, in at least one language. You know, I, you know, I am a psycholinguist, so I can tell you that there are very, very few truly balanced bilingual people who could preach a sermon in two languages in at exactly the same na native-like level. But there are some. There are virtually none who are trilingual who can do that. You know, so, so uh, you know, what, we, what we can guess probably is that Paul's weakest language was Greek, you know, the world language, which he probably learned just like English is taught in the world at school. Okay, so if preaching with an accent was good enough for Paul, it's certainly good enough for me. But unfortunately, that's where the parallels between Paul and me largely end. Okay, now, this is, you know, speculation, but we do have powerful uh, evidence for linguistic diversity in the Bible itself. So let's have a look at the New Testament. Now, contrary to what you uh, believe, the New Testament was not written in King James English, especially that so the Texan governor, you know, was wrong. It was written in Greek, but it was not written. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, it was not written in um, in uh, sophisticated Greek, like the the language of Homer or Aristotle. It was written, as many of you know, in the marketplace Greek, you know, it, which is called Koine. It's basically the Eop Midok kind of Greek. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you, okay? Now, second thing, which you may not have realized, of course you know that most of the New Testament was not written by native speakers of Greek. They were written by learners of Greek, okay? And the third thing, which is very, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to say, but contrary to the King James Bible, which is, you know, one of the highlights of the English language, the Greek, which is used in some of the New Testament texts, is of very simple style, you know, typical learner language style, and there are some grammatical issues there, too, in some places. Okay, so can this be true? And of course it can be true because we have confirmation in the Bible itself. Now, if we you know, look at 2 Corinthians 11, 5 to 6, I wonder whether you know, we can have it. That's a problem. I had too many slides and it's, it's complicated. Poor people over there. Okay, so 
in, in, in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul specifically says this. Now, listen to this. This is shocking. You know, this comes from Paul, the apostle, author of half of the New Testament. I do not think uh, I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. Now, this actually, this verse shows that Paul was absolutely aware of the fact that his discourse, is in, and I think he means that in that case, Greek discourse, was not up to the standards of the super apostles, the Shakespeare's of the pulpit, okay? Uh, uh, but then he says, I do not think I am in, in the least inferior because I do have knowledge. And of course he is not inferior, you know, because diversity is the default in the biblical church. Now, indeed, there is no reason for Paul to be, uh, feel inferior. The Bible is, has been the best-selling title in book publishing ever since book, book publishing you know, has been around. Uh, I talked once to, to a publisher, and they say that in their sales figures and you know, kind of lists, and they, they never include the Bible because it's just always the, the, the top. You know? So for every publisher which publishes Bibles, you know, that's way ahead. The Bible has been sold in more copies than anything else uh, you know, in the world. And Paul didn't have to be inferior either as, because of his you know, kind of credentials. He was a pretty successful theologian, wasn't he? After all, he himself, his letters have shaped humanity, the thinking of humanity as a whole, undoubtedly. Now, let us just reflect on it a little bit, what we have here. We have a case when arguably the most influential piece of writing in humanity's history, the New Testament, was largely written by foreigners, with most of the text not being of, so of a sophisticated style, and not always well-developed grammatically. Furthermore, the most famous theologian of all time, the Apostle Paul, sometimes preached with an accent and sometimes messed up the word order. And did it matter? Of course not. The Bible does, does not mind diversity. It has truth and beauty at a much, much, much deeper level. So it's because diversity is the default in the biblical church. Are you learning it now? So if you think that you do not have the right ethnic pedigree, don't worry. King David didn't exactly have one. If you think that you cannot express yourself as eloquently as some others, you are in good company. You are sharing this problem with the Apostle Paul. So therefore, if you feel you are a foreigner in any way, that is, someone who is different in some aspect, you fit in very well, very nicely with the biblical church because diversity is the default in the biblical church. And I think after this kind of lengthy introduction, we can go back to our original kind of Bible passage. So, and just as 
final line in it. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Okay? And do you realize that Isaiah was declaring exactly the same message here as we have been talking about for the last 15 minutes? God's temple is for all nations, that means for all ethnic groups, and listen to this very carefully, it's a house of prayer. Now, what is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. Prayer is using language. Therefore, the famous Old Testament commentator, Alec Motier, interprets this, this Isaiah verse as God's temple being a place for a speaking relationship with God for every nation, for, you know, for every tongue. In other words, Isaiah declares that God's kingdom is for every ethnic and linguistic group. That is, for every foreigner. Now, can I ask you just, just, for, just for a minute to think about it for a little bit longer? If everybody is a foreigner, then that means, in effect, nobody is. You know, you can only be a foreigner relative to someone who is native. Therefore, if everyone is a foreigner in God's kingdom, it is for every nation, then what Isaiah, in effect, declares is that God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, there are no foreigners. Because diversity is literally the default in the biblical church. And you may say, is this reading too much into the text? No, it is confirmed in the book of Revelation, in exactly the passage which we have already seen, which Christina actually cited. You know, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It paints a picture of the age to come. So here, what does it say about the kingdom of God? So if we turn to Revelation 7 to 9, uh, 7, 9 to 10, it declares exactly what Isaiah prophesied. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Let me just read this again so that it, is, it sinks in. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of the Lamb. I rest my case, or rather, I rest God's case, because university, uh, university, diversity <laughs> is the default in the biblical church. University is not. <laughs> okay. So, can I just say that whoever you are here in this room, in front of your, your screens at home, whatever nation you come from, whatever language you speak, the biblical church is for you. And the, Bi the Bible really encourages us to be inclusive. And we have to be careful not to remain with our, within our cu cultural comfort zone. For example, look at me. I love being amongst you, all you foreigners. Okay. So, Father, 
Let me pray to you now in English so that all these beloved foreign brothers and sisters can understand it. We thank you, Father, for the diversity in your church and the diversity in your kingdom. We celebrate this diversity. Thank you that diversity is the default. Thank you that you do not look at ethnicity, skin color, language competence. You look at the heart. Thank you that English is good enough for Jesus, as is Spanish, Greek, Hebrew, Hungarian, Chinese, Welsh, Arabic, and all the languages of the earth. Thank you that diversity is the default in your church. Thank you that your house is called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen.